face them up and we run out. Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out. Picture on the mound like you don't wanna face this. Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases. Do it for your teammates, do it for the fan. Do it for your city, true ballers understand. You gotta work together, you gotta find a way. Put your body on the line and make that play. Be on the dugout, lace them up and we run out. Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out. Picture on the mound like you don't wanna face this. Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases. Be on the dugout. Be on the dugout. Be on the dugout. Be on the dugout. Oh baby, oh baby, oh baby, what a week it was in Tokyo 2020 watching. This is Beyond the Dugout episode 18, 27th of August, Kia ora to you all, wherever you're listening from here in New Zealand and around the world. I'm Jason Gubis, aka Chopper, and I've got me, the man, who can, it is Damien Collins. Who can, can do what? Kia ora everyone, kia ora bro, how are we doing? Doing really hey, good, that man. That new hoodie's looking damn sharp on you. It is. Damn sharp. It is, man. I can't wait till you post it on the merch list because they're going to fly off the hook. Yeah, we've got we to gotta get that up for sure. Yeah, thank you, Paul Latham, our good friend from Dynasty Store. Dynasty? Dynasty? I don't know. However you pronounce it. Um, it is uh, our guys. They they, they clothe our, our, our elite players around the country. They clothe our uh, Fastball 45, and they clothe our podcast. So appreciate Paul for coming up with the design we've got our our numbers on there i see 16 on yours 23 on mine and i'm happy mate i love them i've been wearing it for like three days custom hoodie <laughs> get your number on it get your order in made specially for you get in fast because man those orders are going to fly off the hook so well oh, yeah. done. can't wait to see the hoodies posted you are going to love them ladies and gentlemen uh, uh dude uh man 20 medals at the olympics are you kidding me yeah special eh? special um some absolute standouts but i'm um, also you know some some absolute uh just troopers just getting themselves across the line and just turning up on the day eh, and making it happen so uh what, what our best ca- uh, count um yeah. uh, at the olympics and um yeah awesome awesome a, a, a great olympics i know with everything going on but i really enjoyed it i did too man um, you know, I, I watched as much as I could when time allowed. I saw so much of the Kiwi uh, performances this time around. So much, in fact, that I missed even like the one in 200, um, you know, feature matches uh, in the athletics. There, I, I didn't even see them live, but which is normally, you know, those two things that you catch. But uh, man, it was, it, it was cool. And um, uh, in today's podcast, we're going to get to find a little bit about behind the scenes what the Olympics really was like. Yeah, I know we talked uh, throughout the podcast about it being cool that it was at normal times, but I found myself watching the the ones that I had missed. You know yeah. that Tokyo goal where it would just recap yeah. everything with Goran and and a few other guests. Um, yeah, I I just lo- would lose time with that, just having that on. But I mean, I'll lose I'll lose days watching sport. You know how much I love <laughs> it. I'll watch anything. Fair enough, <laughs> fair enough, dude. Well, last week obviously we had Carl Smith and Blair Sifford in from the IC. Uh, boys were good. Gave us the lowdown on what's happening. This season, of course, of their history as well. I can give an update. The Gremlins are on fire. They've been uh, Hill United in the final of the ASAs. uh, And so they are looking the red-hot favourites going to this weekend's uh, ICs. If you didn't know that team, mate, you'd look at the, oh, these guys are pretty good, eh? But when you look at that team sheet, 
Woo. So yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to see the boys uh, uh, rolling over uh, people. Good to see a few of our boys that have been on the podcast. Yep. Uh, look forward to seeing their medals and trophies yep. and rings when they get home, when they pick up their stubby holders, which you can get online as well. <laughs> uh, one of the teams they mentioned, Jamie Painting, uh, would be the sleeper team because they've got Sean Cleary as their ace pitcher. Sean Cleary has gone down injured after the ASAs. Da-da. However... They've gone to the other ace from the Canadian national team, uh, Devin McCulloch, to to throw for them. So Jamie Painting's still a major threat going into the um, to the ISCs as well. So it should be a beauty, man. Yeah, You've got to have competition. Eh? Can't wait for that one. Nice. Dude, this week we led it to a look behind the scenes at the Olympics. We dive straight into it. Team Canada's starting catcher, veteran of the program of 14 years, Kayleigh Rafter. Yeah, just when you thought our Olympic chat's gone, we got someone that's got a medal, and um, mate, is she proud of that? So uh, it's yeah, it's like exciting to talk to Olympian uh, medalist uh, and get the stories uh, from what could be one of the the craziest, uh, weirdest situations to everyone, anyone ever be in an Olympic Games. So um, yeah, it'd be it'd be cool to hear the inside scoop. Fantastic. Well, there you go. Let's get to it, bud. Let's go. Oh baby, oh baby, oh baby, I tell you what, there's only one car that matters in Canada right now, and that is bronze. Tokyo 2020 is their year that they won the big show, their first medal ever at the Olympics, and joining us is their starting catcher, a 14-year veteran with the red and white, it is Kaylee Rafter. Kia ora Kaylee, and welcome to Beyond the Dugout. Aloha, thanks for having me. <laughs> Fantastic, aloha to you too. Actually, that's a good point. Of course, in New Zealand, part of our culture is Māori culture, and uh, to say hello in that, uh, the word is a kia order. So let's learn that. If you want to say, if you don't mind, let's have a go at it. So kia, kia, order, order, kia order, kia order. Fantastic, natural, there you go. natural. How good is she, Damien? Very good. Now, Pukan. Love it. <laughs> I tell you what, Damon, she's going to go back. I'm going to get to this a little bit later, but she's going to be coaching out at uh, Florida State this year with our Kiwi guy, Travis Wilson. So put that in the memory bank and throw that at him when you work, walk into the softball office. Absolutely. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, one of the other great traditions, uh, Kaylee, here in New Zealand is we ask where you're from. So, Nohoe Queer, what's your genealogy? Where are you from? Yeah, so I, I'm born and raised in Guelph, Ontario, Canada. So it's about 45 minutes for, from Toronto, um, kind of in central Canada for anyone who's familiar with geography. Um, parents, my mom's from originally from, I think her family goes back to Germany, and my dad's side goes back to northern England and Scotland. So that's where the rafter comes from. I'm guessing it was probably some deviation of Rafferty or a rafter or one of those. So that's how far back we go, but Canadian is my blood. Um, since I was little, my whole family has been here for quite a while. So, um, that's, I, I consider myself Canadian through and through and, and been a pleasure to play on the team for this many years. Uh, Kelly, I was lucky enough the pleasure of meeting you, uh, back in 19 now, seems like forever ago at the yes. <laughs> Asia Pacific wildfires, uh, in Shanghai, China, uh, type thing. So I know your nickname's Raf, but I read somewhere you're also K-Raf? How did that come about? There, well, Kaylee, my first name, I, I'm All the right. person of many nicknames. It was K-Raf, G-Raf, actually one of our old coaches, Russell <laughs> Cooper, who's also a Kiwi. Um, he, he gave me the term G-Raf because I do a little bit taller than normal catchers. Um, rafter, Raft, 
Rafi, all those kind of, they just, they just happen a lot of times on teams when you're playing that long, something slips out in a moment and then it sticks yeah. and then that's it. So I've got a quite a few, never Kaylee though. That's the weird, my first name is rarely ever used. So yeah. the, oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, here, uh, especially so close to coming home. Wait a minute, Kaylee or Raf, G Raf, whatever you want to roll with. Have you got it with you? I do have it with me. It hasn't left my side too much. So. <laughs> oh, wow. There it is. That's, That's the cool. front. Yeah. So the front always has the the Tokyo on it, or the year, the the event, and then the back is pretty pretty consistent. So it is actually pretty heavy, too. Everyone who picks it up, we were all pretty surprised with how heavy this thing is. So. Oh, man. Wow. Here it is. Wow. Like, just holding that in your hands, man, you know, what is it, what kind of emotion does that stir up? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of, I think, our team really bought into to doing, to trusting the process and really buying into to what our coaching staff was expecting of us. I think we got better in a pandemic, which shouldn't happen, nor did it happen for a lot of teams. And I think our team actually got a lot better during that crazy time. And I think it was um, our ability to really buy into the weight room side and the training side and the practice side that, that did that. And I think there's a lot of days where you don't want to go out and do things that are wrapped up in that metal that make it really worth it on all those times when it's seven in the morning. And the last thing you want to do is get up and go run for 45 <laughs> minutes, but you know, it's on the list of things to do yeah. and you just got to grit through it and do it. So a lot of that and then a lot of time with your teammates. So it, it's pretty special for sure. Um, you took about a lot of time with your team. Is that something you cherish and, and, and why? Yeah. I mean, that's the fun of it, right? Like we were together from pretty much March, the beginning of March all the way through to when we, when we came home in July. So um, it's hard to be in those training environments and you're, you're with each other all the time. Obviously you're going to have some disagreements along the way, but I think we, we truly kind of loved each other and, and we, we appreciated what he, what every single person on that team brought to the table. And we didn't ask anyone to be different than where the, who they were or be somebody else. We just wanted to capitalize on the team that we had. And I think if you watch the games and watched how together we were and in those moments of, oh, crap, when we have bases loaded and one out against Japan and, and we kind of brought it together and just stood in a circle and looked each other in the eye and felt that connection and, and were able to get out of so many of those moments as, as the week progressed. And I think that was our just our, a testament to our connection and our togetherness and, and how everyone wanted to support the people beside them. Ah, uh, fantastic. I mean, you guys were, were simply understanding. We're going to dive in heavier into the Olympics uh, as we get in towards the back end uh, of this of this podcast. But I can't I can't help but say, man, yo, it felt like to me you were going to beat Japan that day. Oof. Yeah, um, I think they played a great game. I think Wayno had a pretty special performance. She did some things. She's such a tough pitcher to face yeah. and. We had a few moments to maybe maybe put something together against her. We know we knew it was going to be close. We knew it was probably going to be a one-run game, and it, it was. Um, we had a few moments early in the game to maybe get a run across, yeah. and weren't able to do it. But um, we went into the get that game fully expecting to win and, and to beat them. But they they definitely took advantage of some opportunities when they had it, and they went for it, and they ended up they were the better team that day. Um, but we definitely gave them everything they wanted and more. That's for sure. 
Oh, fantastic. Well, let's start uh, back in the beginning, just a little bit here. Of course, uh, Mum and Dad, Joan and Tom, and your older brother, Mike. Um, what was uh, life like at the beginning where sports started for you for you and your brother and the family? Yeah, um, my brother, he, he was pretty involved in sports. Um, he was probably, he was a good athlete, like really good hand-eye coordination, but for him, he was he was undersized as a male. He was he ended up about six feet tall. We're about, about almost the same height. But I mean, we went at it. He's five years older than I am, yeah. and he played baseball, so I wanted to play baseball. He played basketball, so I wanted to play basketball. And our whole kind of my childhood was just spent us going at it, playing whatever we were going to play. Whether it was we had a basketball net outside. I'm at my parents' house now. It used to live just outside the front door, and we would we would just go play basketball for three hours or go play catch. Um, and then I had a, a really good friend of mine who ended up moving across the street. She also played softball. So we were kind of just always out on the road playing sports our whole life. And then getting into high school kind of, or grade school and high school got a little bit more competitive and started playing on some pretty good teams. So it was always a part of just what we did, like get out of the house, come back when the street lights go on and we'll figure it out and go have fun with, go have fun with the neighborhood kids. And, and that's kind of how we grew up living. Oh, fantastic. That's how it should be, yeah. It's the way it should be for sure. A uh, little birdie tells me uh, when you started T-ball at the age of four in the five-year-old's competition, someone's mother may have doctored your age a little just to get you out of the yeah, house. Joan, Joan just said I was – I think Joan said I was five. She didn't – she knew I – she thought I was ready to handle what T-ball had to offer. So, yeah, she's five. Go play. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, she got me into it a little bit early, but um, she knew I'd been playing with my brother all the time since then, so I was yeah. definitely – could handle my own at that point. Well, Joan can sit back now and go – I'm the reason. She knew it. She knew it. Fantastic. Foreshadowing. (laughs) Well, as you were growing up uh, and playing through the grades uh, and stuff, you know, who were some of the people that were instrumental in either coaching or leading you or supporting you uh, through your softball development? Yeah, I mean, I think first off, my brother, he was, he would always drive me to all my practices. I ended up playing um, a few teams, basketball and softball, I ended up, going to the most competitive team I could find. So it was about an hour away for each of those. So all year round, I was three, four times a week driving an hour. So it was usually split to my brother and my dad. My dad got off work the earliest, but if if he couldn't, then it was my brother taking me hour, two hours, three times a week to places just so I could go to practice and play games. So we got a lot of quality time as kids kind of growing up together, driving to all these spots and he never complained about it. He always did it. And that was just kind of how, how much of a a part of this he was. Um, And then obviously there's so many coaches along the way that change your, your thought process and, and kind of open your eyes to new parts of the game. Like I don't think I could sit here and name them all off, but from, T-ball all the way up through novice and midget and then getting with the Canadian program and having the opportunity to coach in the States. There's just so many people that love this game and give you little nuggets along the way that get you to a place where I'm at now as, as a 34 year old, probably at the peak of my career um, playing and being able to represent my country and perform at the Olympics. So there's so many people when you're in this game for this long that help you along the way that are just if you're willing to listen, like they're there giving you those nuggets and they're there changing the course of your softball career. Fantastic. That's good advice, Davey, right there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, 
We talk about uh, um, your brother and, and driving you along. Would it be fair to say he's your biggest fan? I think so. He's also, he's got a little, um, he's got a nine-year-old daughter and a six-year-old nephew, and they might take the cake on biggest fans. I think nice. Jameson, the little one, he's all into now baseball. Um, yep. And he, he will, he's all about Auntie Kaylee and um, being my, so I, he might take the cake over my brother now, but it's a, it's a close, close race between the two of them. Uh, fantastic. That's, that's really cool. Cool. Um, uh, Kaylee, in, in your uh, time, you, you obviously, you, you made uh, a junior, you made a junior national team uh, for Canada on the way through. Was that right? Went to a training camp. Right. I was a little bit of a weird cohort with the junior team just when I came up. They were only doing events, I think, every six years back when I was first coming up. So yeah. it was, you either made the team as like an eighth grader right. or the next event, you were kind of aged out of it. So it was a little bit of a weird um, event when I was coming up, but went to a trial, but never actually made the team as a junior. When you when you um, were, were coming up or, or with softball, when did you make the decision? Because you talked about a couple of different sports here, basketball, and I'm sure you probably played a number of others as well. When did when did softball become the one for Kelly Rafter? Yeah, so it wasn't actually till twelfth grade when I was I was actually deciding I had a few offers uh, to play basketball in the states to go on scholarship for NCAA, and then a few offers for softball. So it wasn't actually till pretty late. Um, when I was a senior or 12th grade in high school that I had to really make the decision, am I going to go softball or am I going to go basketball? I think the softball, just lifestyle and what I wanted out of college seemed to fit a little bit more. Like I knew basketball is a really long season and a very intensive season in the States where softball is played all year round, but maybe not as much of a, of a time commitment. And then summer times I could have off kind of coming back home. So I made the decision. I think I knew, like, I really loved to play softball. I was very good at basketball, but I don't know if I loved it as much as I loved to play softball. So I, I, I kind of knew in that year that that was probably the path I was going to take. And then that was history. Once I made that decision, everything kind of fell into place after that. Fair enough. And boy, has it fallen into place. Um, look, you <laughs> go on to play at a couple of different universities through your career with a bit of a hiatus. We're going to talk to uh, talk about that as well. Uh, but University of Detroit was your first stop. How did you find that, especially the first time you know, down in the States at a scholarship program? Yeah, um, the, the good part about University of Detroit was we had, um, there's a bunch of Canadians on the team. It was right across the border. Nice. So a lot of the girls that I grew up playing with in Canada were on the team. I think we had six or seven Canadians on the team. So it was almost like our little travel ball team had a little rep team down in the States playing college. Um, but I, I enjoy my time at Detroit Mercy. It was, it was a great three years I had there. I think when I got into the end of that three years, I got into the national program and I kind of wanted a little bit of a more competitive. They were, I wanted the chance to maybe play some top, top 25 schedule and, and really challenge myself softball wise, especially once I got in with the national team program. Um, so I think my time kind of at Detroit was had run its course and, and thankfully the coach and the administration there were very supportive in allowing me to continue my softball journey um, after my three years there, but nothing but love for, for that school and kind of how it gave me my start. Fantastic. I guess uh, you did write a nice, nice start there, but in between uh, 
being at Detroit and then going to Florida State, which is where you're going to coach this year. Um, you had that year off uh, in and around the uh, Beijing Olympics in 2008. Um, how, how was that? Kind of like, well, wait a minute, I'm just going to take a break because I'm going to the Olympics. Yeah, so I had to I had to make the decision too before I knew I was going to make the team. So we that summer in 2007 was my first year on on the Canadian team. Um, and I was supposed to go back to school that fall. And we had known that if we do make the team, which the team tryouts were in October, they were going to ask you to take your Olympic red shirt. So in the schools in the States, you're allowed one year, a red shirt year to take if you're playing on a national team for the Olympics. So I had to make the decision in, in August, do I go back to school, start, and then I'm kind of locked into going back to Detroit or do I say, let's, let me just take that year off, not knowing if I'm going to make it and just go all into training. So I decided I'm like, you know, I'm going to take the year off. I ended up packing my car up, drove it down to Vegas. I trained in Las Vegas where a few other teammates were, um, Allison Bradley and Christy Onomura. So we trained together for um, the two months before the tryout, went to the tryout, thought I did pretty well. And then we found out that November that I had made the team. And then that kind of started the process of that red shirt, that kind of eight months until we are going to Beijing that next August. So um, kind of took a little bit of a risk leaving there and just kind of throwing everything in my little Kia and driving down there. But um, I, I knew I had the chance. I just, I needed some time to really take care of my skills and, and kind of clean up all those loose ends after that first year on the national team that I knew were a little bit lacking. Is that, is that a trademark for, for Kaylee Rafter? If, if you're going to go for something, it's all balls in. I think so. I mean, I don't really know any other way to go for it. I think it's, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it. You might as well enjoy it. Like what's, what's the point of, of kind of dipping your toe in the water and figuring out and hoping things work out. I think people always laugh at me. Like what's your five-year plan? Like, I don't, I don't know. Cause I, it could be a year from now it could completely change. And that's, I'm kind of okay. Living my life like that. Like things, opportunities happen and opportunities will present themselves and, when they do, for sure, it's it's go all into it and, and see what happens. Ah, nice. What a way to live. Um, so 2008, you get to go to Beijing uh, for Canada. Um, and um, uh, I, I guess first, you were, what, what were you, about 21 at the time? Yes. I think I turned, I think I turned 22 at the Olympics. So I was 21 when they started. Did you have your birthday at the Olympics? I did have my birthday at the Olympics, <laughs> wow. yes. That's cool. How good is that? I think it was actually the day we lost to Japan, so not as great of a celebration, Whoa. but okay. okay, all good, all good. Yeah, all good. Today, celebrate that one in the morning, and then go play Japan yes. in the afternoon. Canadian time celebration. Yeah, hard out. Um, well, firstly, as a twenty-one-year-old uh, playing uh, not just on the national team, but uh, but at the Olympics, was your head on a swivel? I think so. I mean, you never know kind of what to expect with your first time. And we knew the the gravity of the situation that it wasn't going to be in 2012. So it was going to be a long time. And us at the time thinking like, I don't know if I'm going to be on the team for another four years, eight years at that time, we were hoping it maybe got back in for 2016. But so you, we knew that that was probably the last chance for a lot of those players at the time we thought to, to have a chance at an Olympic medal. So there was that added pressure too of, of a little bit of finality in those games. But thankfully, as we kind of learned that we were able to stick around the program a little bit longer and get another shot in Tokyo. But um, 
a little more so, not as much the Olympics, but knowing that that w- that could be the last one that we're ever going to have the opportunity to compete at. I think that that wore on a lot of us in those games and, and wanting to do so well for for the team and the country. Gotcha. Makes makes complete sense. What about the spectacle of the Olympics just being in China itself? What was that like? It was China was under like I don't think there's going to be another Olympic Games like Beijing. Like that was kind of talked. It was the opening of China. If, if people don't remember, that was the first time. Beijing or China had been awarded that first time they really opened up their country for the world to come in and see. And we knew like they, there was no expense spread. I don't even know. I don't even know if now they've released how much those games cost them to put on, but it was a significant sum of money. The the venues, everything they, they were putting on a show for the world to see. And they, they were um, it was amazing. Like there, there won't be another Olympics nor should there be another Olympics that is that big of a spectacle because um, there was just a lot of extra stuff that was really cool at the time, and I'm glad I got to experience, but probably at the end of the day, not really necessary or not really needed. What was your role on the team? I was just trying to remember that um, that Olympic. What was your role on the Canadian team at that Olympics? Yeah, so I was as one of the, kind of the young ones. I was the backup catcher, backup first baseman, um, kind of flirted with the DP coming in, depending yeah. on matchups and, and who we were playing. Um, got one start against the USA and got some DP time. Um, start as a catcher in the, and I think he DP'd in three of the games, but more so pinch hitter coming off the bench, position player um, as one of the younger ones being a catcher in that time. There's uh, Aaron Comstone was was definitely ahead of me, and, and she had that relationship with Lauren Bay. They played together since I think 2002, so that was definitely that connection they were going to ride, and and that was kind of my role for that year. Gotcha. Damien, trivia question. Who's the youngest player to hit a home run at the Olympics? I don't know. I have no idea. Do you know? Kaylee? May know. I may know her. <laughs> you see her often? Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So 21 year old, you're jacking out of the park. What do you remember yep. from that at bat in that moment? Um, I remember sprinting around the bases. I remember it was a change-up. It was against Amsterdam. I can remember the pitcher's face, but I can't remember what her name was. But yeah. um, he was got ahead in the count. Knew she'd like to throw the changeup. Was going for the changeup. Headed out, just left of center. Um, definitely, just a feeling of all those kind of talked about the training and and leaving like those moments when you kind of have that final compilation of like, holy crap, I just did something really cool. You think back to all those times where, yep, I'm going to hop in my car and drive down to Vegas for 30 hours and, and just go train there on a whim. And yeah. those kind of all come full circle and you realize, yeah, that's, a lot of those times those things are worth it. So um, a lot of full circle moments rounding the bases, ironically. Nice. Awesome. Very, very, very cool. And uh, a very credible fourth place for Canada and, and Beijing uh, 2008. Kept off a, a great campaign for sure. Um, you come back, uh, your assistant coach um, uh, with Canada at the time uh, was actually, there's a story behind that, you weren't going to Florida State to start with, were you? No, I was not. Um, so I, I decided to transfer in that year and, and kind of open it up. Um, originally, I, I elected a few schools that were, I was in a little bit of a tough spot because a lot of schools in the U.S., um, don't allow senior transfers. So there's quite a few schools who, where you can't transfer as a senior. Yep. Um, 
So I decided that I was going to end up going to UNLV, who the assistant coach on Team Canada, Bonnie Alameda, was the head coach at UNLV. So I had every plan of going to UNLV. Um, and then it turned out to be late July, I think, almost right before we left to go over to Japan to stage for the Olympics. She got a call from Florida State saying, hey, we'd love you free to come down and interview down at Florida State. I got on the plane. I got on the flight with the team to go to Japan. Um, she ended up taking the job to go to Florida State, and then it was an over the phone. Hey, would you rather come to Florida State? And I ended up sight unseen, just going for it and taking a chance, and, and headed down there. Changed my plane ticket to to Tallahassee instead of back to Las Vegas after, and ended up um, playing for them for my last year. Wow, it's amazing how things uh, happen. And, and of course, your last senior year, you had a hell of a year um, for Florida State. Um, now getting a chance to go back there as a coach, you know, what is that going to be like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a special place and there's so many memories. Uh, and I've watched that program just kind of be built and, and there's been two coaches. Dr. Graff had it for Dr. John Graff, who the field is named for. She was kind of the legacy. She built the program and and to see kind of Coach Alameda take it over and, and make it a winning the, the Women's College World mm. Series, obviously in the finals last year. So kind of seeing it, knowing how it was built to the point where it was and then watching it transform over the last 10 years, just to be a part of that program. I think the development as, as a person and as a coach being around people who are in it all the time, like you just, you got to take those opportunities when they present themselves. So for me, it was a no brainer to just, get back there and be around people who love the game and continue to, to grow and develop myself as a coach. Um, so I think it, it'll be, it's just fun. It's just get to go play softball or do softball for a living. It's not many people get to say that. No, you did right. Fantastic. And is that, is that what Kelly Rafter wants to do for a living? Coach softball? I think so. I mean, I think softball, I love it. Like I have, People always tell me they can hear it in my voice. Like I'm passionate about the game. I love bringing the game to, to different age groups and and the build of, of a team and trying to overachieve as a team and kind of maximize talent. So that there's always something in the game I think that can um, that gets the mind going and that, that you can really go at and, and and just kind of pick away at as a coach. And it, it's just that that fun of that figuring things out and, and not the failure part, but, but trying to make that failure part a little bit less is, is always something that's really been a passion of mine. So coaching seems like a really good fit for that. Fantastic. You come with a wealth of experience, of course, the passion, which is key. Um, but, but intelligence, uh, Damien, the, the reason why I bumped into Kaylee in uh, Shanghai, she was there and she was obviously scouting the potential opposition that was coming out of Asia, um, Oceania. Uh, out of that event, uh, and of course this was going to be Australia in the end uh, type thing. So obviously the program has a lot of faith in your scouting abilities. Yeah, um, Coach Smith actually reached out to me. It, it happened pretty fast. He, he kind of reached out to me, our head coach at the time, and said, listen, I, I'd really like to get eyes on, on that qualifier and just see we hadn't played knowing that we probably weren't going to get the opportunity to play Australia or trying to qualify or Chinese Taipei wanted to have some information on them and just kind of what their team's looking like. So he said, would you be willing to go over to China? And I guess 
similar to the thread of, of what we've kind of talked about, I said, sure. And had to figure it out and get a visa and a pretty quick turnaround and got a flight and hopped on there, not really knowing where I was going. I I had a hotel and it ended up being bad information and it was in the wrong spot. So Uh. I got a different hotel the next (laughs) night and we figured that out. So um, it was a lot of just kind of going for it. And yeah, they sent, they kind of had me go over to China by myself and thankfully Erica Polidori was over there. So yeah. I had another person I knew, another teammate that was over there with, with her connection with the WBSC. So, um, but yeah, just kind of went over and, and figured things out on the way and got to watch some good softball. You've been in the uh, national program for a very long time now, as we mentioned, since uh, 2007, so 14 years. You've been to seven WBSC World Cups, uh, and I think it's off the top of my head looking at this, four Pan-American Games, picking up bronze, silver medals, and then the gold in the Pan-American Games in 2011. Not to just kind of throw a blanket over all of that, but what what's some of the highlights out of those events? And, and for you, what's the feel between a World Cup and a Pan American? Yeah, um, obviously the difference, the Pan American Games and the World Cup, the Pan American Games being multi-sport, you get a lot more, um, just a little more action, a little more excitement because you have teams from swimming and diving and track and field, and you, it's a time to kind of, celebrate more with your fellow fellow athletes and your fellow countrymen and women who are there representing their country. And there's a little bit more excitement about what's going on outside of the game um, where you get to world championships and it's very much, it's, it's just softball. You're playing soft, you're around kind of the softball community a little bit more. So that's almost your time to build those relationships yeah. with your competitors and kind of have that time to celebrate softball itself where the Pan Am Games or even the Olympic Games are our celebration more of your country and, and your representing of your country. Um, on field highlights, I think obviously the 2015 gold, we, we played in Toronto. Um, we, we were able to beat the U.S. finally after I think it was since like 74 or something crazy like that. We hadn't beat the U.S. at a Pan Am's. Um, there was six or 7,000 people there. It was rocking. It was so hot. It was Sunday it was just smoking hot and everybody was going crazy, family, friends. Um, so we beat them in extra innings and, and to kind of have that moment with our, with our fans and, and being those, I think anytime you play in front of a home crowd, that's, that's a special moment. Um, so yeah, so those are kind of, and obviously our, our, our bronze medals in 2010, 16, and I think 18, we were able to, to win bronze. Um, but just the progression of our team, our, our ability, the consistency as we, we've stayed in the program, in the last five or six years to constantly be up on the podium is not easy. Um, so just a lot of good moments tied to, to kind of that effort by our team and the work that we've put in. Wow. Fantastic. Well, a couple of things on that. Firstly, 2015 uh, was softball Canada's golden year. Your men's program wins uh, the WBSC world cup and then they win the Pan American and you girls. Yeah. Arguably the biggest, you know, win in, in your program over the USA. It must have felt good to be a Canadian that year. Great year. And I think the support that we have of each other is awesome too. I think we don't get to to be around our men's program a lot, but we're definitely invested in the results of, of each program and how they're playing and um, watching when we can on streaming. I wish we had a few more tournaments. It'd be nice if they did a few more men's and women's combo tournaments because yeah. It'd be just great to see that see the game a little bit more men's and women's, but 
Um, we definitely follow follow the team, and, and for that year, they played amazing. That the tournament in Saskatoon was um, what a great run for them, and then to see them followed up with with the Pan Am Gold, it was for sure a good summer for for Team Canada or Southpaw Canada. Uh, congratulations! Uh, you, you make a good point there. The consistency of the uh, Canadian program, uh, softball program. Why is that? Why? How have you been able to stay at the top of the world game for such a long period of time? I think it's support. Like softball Canada is really kind of hearing the stories for some other countries and um, just the ability, like financial and, and just the system of support that we have. Um, we don't have to, we're not there. We don't have to pay for any of our travel or any of our events with the team. I know some other teams have to fundraise to do mm. those things. So when you're able to, I think for a lot of us, even in 2019, we, we gave up our jobs to train full time for the Olympics. Not many people are able to take a leave from their jobs for a year, which turned into two years, um, and still have the opportunities to train. So thankfully softball Canada had the vision to, to, really maintain funding and sport Canada supports us quite well. So um, continuing to deliver the results and then also the support from the backside with what we're able to kind of get again, it's not, we're not talking MLB money here at all or um, professional sports money, but it's at least enough for us to continue to, to continue to train full time and not have to worry about having a job and having a full time job. So that was big for us. Nice, nice. And so it should be too, uh, Kaylee. I mean, what you ladies do on the diamond is, uh, you know, it's simply amazing at times and uh, and you should be rewarded um, or compensated for it uh, accordingly. So good on Sopple Canada getting behind uh, your program like that. And the results are there. Um, so it proves, yeah. it proves it's an investment well worth made, um, without a doubt. So being on the team for a long time and also knowing your character... What's it like being on the road with your sisters? There's a lot. It's a lot sometimes. Um, As you can imagine, we're 15, 20 girls living in close quarters, sometimes not the greatest of – I mean, how many times have you been in dorm rooms and and universities and sleeping on – as 34-year-olds sleeping on little cots is – it blows my mind sometimes to think about kind of – how we've got to the place we've got to, but um, it's definitely a lot of fun. I mean, we, yeah. we, we try to keep it light. Um, the softball obviously makes it fun. You're, you're kind of united for a bigger purpose and a bigger goal, but um, definitely try to have some fun with it and, and not take people or, or things too seriously when we, when we get off the diamond, because it is, it can be a long time if you don't enjoy the people you're around for sure. Is that a diplomatic way of saying that sometimes one of the girls might have a, like a a bitch moment or something? Well, everyone does. Yeah, girls, guys. For one thing, I've learned everybody has emotions and everybody has yeah. feelings, and we all get our feelings hurt, guys and girls. And it's just going to happen, and you just gotta so be willing to have that hard conversation to yeah. get over it. Sometimes. Oh, there's a good point. So, when one of your sisters is bigger. Pain in the ass, right? She's not feeling too good about shit. What does Kaylee Ruff to do? Um, I'm kind of the no nonsense one. Like, Ooh. are we really complaining about this now? Like, I don't <laughs> mind calling people out when yeah. they're when they're having their moments, and everyone gets to have their moments. Like, certain things trigger us all. 
Um, they all kind of, they joke on the team. I'm kind of the blue head that doesn't really ever get mad or angry or upset about things. So if I'm getting mad, usually something's probably up, but um, I think if I say something to somebody now and or at this moment, I think most people are pretty okay. Maybe I shouldn't say anything anymore. So talk less. So when you do talk, it it does matter. And then be willing to to just call people in the moment on stuff because a lot of times they don't mean what they're saying and you just got to address it in the issue and not let it go any further. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. I'll Need put my foot like down. That. Listen to me. By the way, I'm the tallest in the team. You're gonna listen to me right now. <laughs> what 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 about what about because I've heard a bit about you, um, just saying, uh, what about humor and using that as a as a tool? And what is the best prank you've either done to Ooh. someone on your team or been done to you? Um best prank. So I'm I'm a big fan of just breaking the tension with humor. Yeah. Like there's always time for a little, I'm very sarcastic as our, as my teammates know. Um, but in a funny but way, just, right? Yeah, yeah. Hiding on people, yeah. scaring people is funny to me. It's always been funny <laughs> to me. Um, so whether it's hiding, I think one time we hit in a bag, scared someone coming. I, I think it was coach Smith. We had one of our players hide in like a equipment bag yeah. and scare a coach coming out of there. So um, that's always been fun. Just, moving stuff, hiding things that yeah. people need or people forget something and then you just hide it in a place that they're not going to think of. And um, but yeah, just, just normal, like keeping it light, keeping it easy at practice. Um, What's lots the, of sarcasm oh, yeah, though. the question there. What's the one prank that happens in the dugout or in the team environment and they don't know who's done it, but as soon as they see the prank, they're like, Kaylee. Mm. Signature. Good question. I don't know if I have a signature prank. I'm trying to think. Put me on the spot. Let, let me come back to it if I think about it. I don't know if it's a signature prank. I just usually if something's gone or missing, it's it's where's Rafter at? What has she done with it? Yeah. Um it's an opportunist opportunity. Hiding prank. in plain sight. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I like it. I like it a lot. Um okay, let's get to a fast forward a little bit here. Uh going towards uh 2019, your qualifier. Uh, in um, in Vancouver or Surrey, mm-hmm. what um, what was the team leading into that? What was happening with the team, and 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 of course, aware of the pressure that you must qualify in the top two to get to Tokyo. Yeah, um, so it was a play everybody one time format, and then the top, I think it was six teams or. There's seven teams, eight teams, play everybody once. So yeah. top two were going to go on. So we knew we had two chances. Um, it was for sure pressure because yeah. I think the one thing that would have been worse than not having the Olympics for those two years was having the Olympics in 2020 and not being in them. If we had done all this and kind of stuck it out and we end up watching those Olympics on TV – I think would have been a way more devastating blow than getting Olympics taken out of the, of 2012 and 2016. So we were very aware of how important that tournament was and, and what the measures kind of softball Canada um, and the organizing committee there had done to, to make sure we were, they were hosting that event to give us the best chance of qualifying in a spot that we were familiar with. So um, there was quite a bit of pressure at the, the Puerto Rico game that we first played. I think it was on day three. We knew was was probably one of the bigger games because Puerto Rico and Mexico at the time were both ranked 
Yeah. Mexico was six, Puerto Rico was five. So um, they had a, a really good team, some really good players. Um, we ended up beating Puerto Rico in, in a pretty tight ball game, but pitchers were, I think we it ended up being three, nothing, but pitchers kind of just shut the door and, and slammed that shut pretty quick. Um, and then losing to Mexico one, nothing in, in a heartbreaker and knowing that we had to um, win our final game to qualify. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, we knew we were good enough too. So I think there's always that like, yes, we are the, we believe we are the best team here, but at the same time, there's always going to be those, what if, like, what if they put an amazing game together? What if somebody gets a swing off on a pitch? There's so much unknown about the game of softball, which is obviously why they tell you you have to play the game. But Mm. I think we were very confident in the fact that we, we were one of the better teams there and we just had to kind of go out and, and show that in that tournament. And thankfully, after the loss to Mexico, we were able to rebound and beat Brazil to to qualify. Well, Kelly, you know now after being in the international program for such a long period of time that the difference between winning and losing, especially at the elite level, is so, so minute. And we take Tokyo uh, just recently, one-run ball games between you, USA and, and, and Japan. That's how close it is, as well as a bronze medal, right? Um, but... It is so defined or so close, the edge. What what gets Canada over the edge to be successful? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, you talk each person kind of, we talk a lot kind of competitive advantage. So what is going to be your competitive advantage? And I think the USA's competitive advantage, like they have athletes and, and they're going to have a line of athletes they can roll 500 deep in that team and be pretty similar in their athletic and their talent. Um, and I think Japan, they have a system in place and they have a professional system in place and a practice system in place that they are maximizing the amount of players that they can possibly have in the system. And they all play the same game. They're all coming from the same area. They're all playing the same way. They're practicing the same way. Like that is their competitive advantage. And I think for us as Canada, it was, we probably don't have the amount of people in our system as the U S does. Well, we don't, I can say that definitively, mm. but can we maximize on each other? Can we maximize on our, on all of our talents together? And do we have that connection and do we have that unity to play as a unit? So instead of just needing somebody on the mound to go out and throw a perfect game, can we, as a pitcher catcher, have this connection where we're, we're working together to set up the hitters and we're working for a ground ball to the left side and our left side's completely bought into exactly where they're playing and how we're going to try to pitch this person and they're talking to an outfield. So all of a sudden now it's nine players playing against one hitter instead of relying on one person to just shoulder the load and hopefully our, our talents are better than they are. So we've really kind of went all into this connection piece and this um, buy-in piece as a group and as a unit and working as one. And I think that's that's what's led us to kind of where we are now and hopefully continuing with that will allow this team to take the next step. Fantastic, great advice. I like that. B is one. one. Yeah. All the great teams talk like that, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah without a doubt. Um, well, that week uh, in uh, Vancouver, um, you, you were struggling at the plate, poor girl. 462 that league. <laughs> wow, fantastic. And uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> not only that, uh, you hit three home runs, oh. and of course, uh, this little spot here, um, which uh, kind of hallmarks the whole week and why you were in Tokyo. He is someone that people come out to see, that's for sure. 
Rafter drives it deep. Does it have enough? Yes, it does. And Canada will walk their way off to Tokyo, Japan and play in the Olympic Games. How fitting for it to be Kaylee Rafter to hit a home run. The 2008 Olympian helping send Canada with that final blow to Tokyo 2020. Kaylee Rafter's third home run ends it. And Canada can book their ticket for the six-team Olympic tournament next summer in Tokyo. There is not an ending that is more fitting than that. Kaylee staying with the program since 2008, knowing softball wasn't in the Olympics. She was loyal to the program. She stayed. She has been a cornerstone and coming up with a massive hit to put away Brazil for good. Kaylee Rafter, a hit to remember. Look at wow. that grin. Look at that grin. <laughs> <laughs> what a hit to remember uh, indeed. Uh, Kaylee, watching that and obviously what that means, uh, not just to you, your family, but just your, 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 your country, your national program. How did it feel? Um. Well, I wish, number one, I wish it ran around the bases a little bit slower so I could have enjoyed that moment a little bit more with the fans. But it was a um, it was a quick run, quick jog around the bases, fast as, one of the faster runs I've had. But, uh, I mean, just a really special moment. Obviously, family was in the stands. Mom and dad were there. They were able to go because it was in Canada. All those fans just had been with the program for so long. So to be able to have that moment with them and, and – share that moment with, with Canada and with a town that has, has been so supportive of, of softball over my 12 years or 14 years with the team. It's, it was just, it was truly special. It was probably one of those moments that I will never forget. Um, and just a lot crazy to look back. Lauren Bay was announcing that. I don't know if you guys knew that that's Lauren Bay who was on the color. So she, after that year came back and, and pitched for us in this, in this last Olympics. Yeah. So to hear her on the call too, and just, see how quickly things can change and and kind of all the people packed in there it was really special was she she lauren uh um kind of regular yeah regular now she she um she she accredits that moment or that week as the reason she came back yeah i think seeing it and being around it and just understanding i think she knew she could probably physically she would, she could do it. Um, but kind of seeing how that team was and, and how special that moment was for us, I think that really kind of got those competitive juices flowing again for her and giving her the desire to, to maybe make another run at it. And thankfully we were able to get her a medal as someone who been on the team since I think 2001, she first got with the team and kind of put the program on her back for those, the first seven years until 2008 when she took a break to have a family. But she kind of put Canada on the map with, with women's softball and, and to have her get a medal at almost 40 and, and see that decade of her life go out as, as a bronze medalist is, is pretty awesome. Yeah, it is indeed. And look at her, Damon. She uh, deflected the attention away from herself there to one of her teammates. And, and arguably, would you rate that at-bat as uh, the most significant at-bat of your career? I think so. I think there's um, obviously some – some big moments um, in some big games, but 
that was one of the, the definitely the most special moment to know what that what that team had done and, and to be able to have that celebration at home plate. And we kind of talked about it as a team, like we didn't really want to win on like a walk off walk or something where you're kind of it's anticlimactic. So yeah. to have that moment, I knew going in that I was going to lead off that inning in the fifth. And I was like, well, let's try to go yay on this one. Let's end it right here and, and have that moment. So I was, I was looking for a pitch to hit over the fence and, and to try to kind of be that one. So um, got it and didn't miss it and have that memory now. How was the party that night? It was good. Yeah. It was a good party that <laughs> night. It was, yeah, better than what we, well, we were, I'm sure we'll get into it, but not Tokyo parties aren't as, aren't as fun because there's no. not a lot of alcohol in the village, but hometown Canada came through for us that night. It was, yeah. it was a good night for sure. We were up till I think four in the morning. We almost, a bunch of us almost missed our flight over the <laughs> next day at like 4 a.m. Coach Smith called my room and we were supposed to depart. And yeah. that's a fun, I'll just tell the story. Coach Smith called my room and yeah. he, it was him, Coach Smith, his wife, and then I think five other of us that were supposed to leave at like three 30 in the morning, I get a call at three 30 from coach Smith into my hotel room. Like, where are you? And I was like, uh, I'm on my way down. I was asleep. <laughs> then... So I grabbed my bags. I had everything packed, grab my bags, hustled downstairs by like three 40. He's like, well, where's everybody else? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, no one else is ready. So then I had to go knock on everybody else's door. Nobody was awake. We ended up leaving at like 4.15 in the morning to try to catch our flight. We got there 40 minutes before our flight. Thankfully, it was domestic, so we were able to get our bags on the flight. But it was a mess of a morning, but totally worth it. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, it definitely is worth it indeed. Um, that was actually, uh, before I get on to this year's uh, Olympics, Geographically, with your team spread, you're a very large country. How do you guys combat that problem? Like getting together? Yeah, um, we've tried to kind of create, especially in the last two years when, when we've really kind of made the final push to the Olympics, is to create like smaller training environments. So we have an Ontario group that yep. trains together. We have a British Columbia group that trains together. And a lot of the girls who live not in those areas have made the commitment to to move and to travel to places where they can have a competitive training environment. Uh, we have a group that lives in the States that are able to kind of train around each other as well. So um, it's mostly been just commitment financially on our parts and, and desire on our parts to, to be around teammates and to make sure our training environment is competitive as we can. Uh, but a lot of that comes from the funding I talked about. We're able to, to do that and, and move and, and train um, in these kind of pods that, that allow us to, to be around teammates and just have a little bit more competition when we're doing um, all those fun things that people don't see behind off the diamond. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Oh, well, let's get to um, 2020 now uh, in Tokyo. Firstly, um, let, me, let us just acknowledge the commitment that all of you athletes have yeah. done uh, for these Olympics. I mean... Just the most Can't have been easy. No, <laughs> unusual and toughest um, situation to dedicate yourself, isolate yourself away from uh, families and friends and things, and and, and the sacrifices uh, you all made. First, you know, thank you for that because these Olympics were special. Yeah, I mean, I think you you hit the nail on the head. Like the sacrifices that that people had to make and just create, be creative with training environments and 
maintain their level of fitness and, and softball in a time where you weren't allowed to practice. So I think the creativity definitely came out and, and people's desire to put on a good product and put on a good show for people at the Olympics um, really came to light. And I think, I think we did, I think we put on a good show for softball and, and hopefully the fans can appreciate that and, and what everyone did to, to make themselves ready to compete like we did. Can I just quickly ask a, a quick versus, um, like you hear stories about the Olympic Village, so I can imagine this mm-hmm. one was pretty surreal versus, oh wait, so can you tell me uh, some of those comparisons to the, the craziness to the, I don't know, whatever you want to call Japan? Yeah, so I think the biggest the biggest difference I'd say is the freedom of movement. Like yeah. Japan or in Beijing, I remember there was a Canada house, there was a Heineken house, like all these different brands would sponsor places where athletes could go and mingle and maybe have a, have a beer or something. Um, Did you just and say you could maybe to, have a beer? At the maybe house. have a beer once your events is, event is done. Um, <laughs> so there's all these little like spots where you could go and, and hang out with athletes. And in Tokyo, it was you're in the village and your mass and even eating at the dining hall, it was cubicles. They had everything was sectioned off. Um, so there wasn't a lot of like the freedom of movement was zero. You couldn't leave the village. You couldn't get a craving for McDonald's and go walk down the street to the local McDonald's and and get something. So you were pretty much there competing, coming back to the village and that was it. So as a, as an experience perspective, I think I wish some of our players were able to experience other sports, experience other athletes and players and have that time to to kind of feel what everyone else put into those Olympics. Cause that is, that is special. Like what swimmers do is completely different than what we do. And to be able to see that from a fan perspective yeah. is pretty special, um, which they weren't. But at the same time, I think we were so happy to just after everything we've been through in this year to know that we were still going to have an Olympics and still have the opportunity to, to compete for a medal and to compete for softball trumped, all of those other maybe differences, but um, the village itself, like apartments, all that very similar kind of, um, I definitely put it up there where we were located. Japan was stupid. Like we were right out the, on the water in the, in the Harbor. Like it was multi-million dollar apartments. So I'm sure they're, I know they're already sold, Um, but that area was awesome um, compared to, I think Beijing were kind of a little more secluded in a, kind of almost a compound, but um, some really cool parts of each side. Beijing was awesome. I think Tokyo was awesome, but the freedom of movement was very different. And then the COVID testing every day was a little bit different too. (laughs) So are you trying to say there was no dancing down the aisle of the bus leaving the opening ceremony with the U.S. (laughs) basketball team? There was not. There was none of those things. No backers in yeah, the village. Yeah, so we no opening ceremonies, no closing ceremonies, no meeting cool people as much. But um, as much. we got to play and we got to bring home a medal, so that's what was worth it in the end for sure. Okay. Got that cool bronze companion for life now. Sure do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kelly Damien is um, a basketball hard. Who was a couple of your a couple of your, yeah? Who was a couple of those uh, U.S. basketball players that you met after that opening ceremony in Beijing? Yeah, so if people don't know, like an open, oh, most people don't know opening ceremonies when you're when you're going to opening ceremonies, they line up like every bus that they have. There's probably 400 buses lined up. 
and each country has a bus that they're assigned to. So when you get off, you kind of walk in, you're all kind of with your countries. Mm. Then at the end of opening ceremonies, everyone just kind of leaves at the same time. So they just have all the buses lined up and you're just on your own to get on the bus. They tell you when the last bus is leaving. Some people want to stay and take pictures. Some people want to get back because they may have an event the next day that they're trying to get back and sleep for. So it's kind of like pandemonium just go on buses that are open. As soon as they have a full load, the bus just takes off until the last one leaves. So on the way there, you're with your country on the way back, you have whoever's with you um, on that bus. And we ended up getting on the bus and it was, um, I definitely remember Kobe was on there. I know that's a big one for a lot of people, but it was Kobe, um, I think Dwight Howard was one of the ones from back then that was on that team. Um, and Tracy McGrady, another one, I was a big Toronto fan. So not a Vince Carter. I know he went off that Olympics, um, and was dunking over some seven footers, but sure those was. are the three Tracy McGrady, I think, and, and Kobe were on that bus back. So not good enough. Didn't have the thing to get an autograph though. So that was close. I've ever got. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was going to make Damien's day right there uh, when you told him that story. I just remembered I should, should chuck it in there, uh, especially for Damien. That's a cool thing, though. Um, as you were saying, different in Tokyo, um, but like you said as well, the, the greatest thing is that the games got to take part. You know, how, how was that for you preparing? Because even leading up to the Olympics, there was always, always a question mark. Daily. Yeah. Um, it was, I think from the moment we had in, um, we had, we had broke our camp. So we had left for our camp. We were supposed to have a two week break before we were going to meet again. And this was in March yeah. or in, I think late March, we were supposed to meet again in Fresno before we went over and we got the news in beginning of April of, of 2000 the Canadian um, delegation told us like, we are going to boycott these. Like we are not going if they're going to still have these in Tokyo. So that moment happens and you're kind of in shock, like, Oh crap. What if they still have it? Canada says we're not going. And now they have the Olympics with Mm. us. So we went through that whole process of what's going to happen. Are they going to continue to have it? Thankfully with everything that happened, other countries kind of joined suit and they end up postponing it to the following year. But Now we have all these, again, the variants and, and just testing and vaccinations and so much. I think a lot of it too politicized by the Olympics, rightfully so. It's a, it's a huge event with a lot of money at stake. Um, and we were kind of in the crosshairs a lot of times of, of those decisions and those um, answers that we had no control over. Yeah. So at some point you have to just say, it's not in my control. If it happens, it happens. If not, those, those things are beyond my pay grade. Um, but it was like every, every time you turn on the news, there was times in March when we were down in Florida and it was, they shouldn't be happening and they're not going to happen to, they are happening. And all the way up to June when we kind of got the final word that yes, they will be happening, but it was, it was definitely a roller coaster. And the more you kind of rode that roller coaster, the tougher it was to just stay, stay on it and stay with it. And, Thankfully, our head coach, Mark Smith, he's he's very good about, listen, like nothing's going to change what we do today. Let's do today really well. And we'll worry about it when it happens and really kind of grounding us in a lot of those times when it was rumor mill and things just flying off the press about are they happening? Are they not happening? They shouldn't be happening. Protesters, all those different things. So 
it was tough. It was tough to kind of have to deal with those emotions and train, but thankfully our coaches were pretty on it in terms of directing our focus to where it needed to be. Ah, fantastic. Not the best analogy. Would it be kind of like a rain delay or, you know, with bad weather in the morning, you're like, I've still got to get ready for the game. It's going to start at that time just in case. Yeah, and it's like you're looking at the weather app and it's 100% chance of rain and then it does, oh, I'm not playing, I can take it easy. And then all of a sudden it doesn't rain. You're like, wait a sec, I didn't plan for this. So, (laughs) yeah, just kind of blocking it out and doing what we had to do that day and keep on with it day by day. Ah, fantastic. Well, when you do get to the Olympics, um, you are the first sport to open up the Olympics. Uh, how did that feel for you guys uh, as athletes and, and representing our code, um, getting to open the Olympics? Yeah, I mean, I loved it being the first one. A lot of times I think that anticipation builds. We were a little bit later in Beijing, Um and you kind of, you see things and you see people winning medals and, and teams performing and you can play up a lot of things in your mind of what you want to do and how you want to do things. And a lot of that can be distracting from, from what, what makes you a good team or you a good player. So I think being the first one out the gate, we started two days before opening ceremonies. We were one of the first team medals that were awarded at Tokyo minus some smaller swimming events, but um, I loved it. I loved the fact that we got to go in, kind of throw down the gauntlet, have our time. There wasn't much else going on. We got a little time in the village when it wasn't crammed. And then we came back from Fukushima and it was all craziness in there. So yeah. I personally enjoyed that experience a lot, a lot more than um, when we were the later half. And you kind of have to that anticipation builds a little bit more, get it in, get it over with and, and kind of have that moment. And then, you can, I got to watch a lot of the Olympics from home in the last 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very cool. Well, um, very special part of uh, this year's Olympics, uh, obviously, as you mentioned, the hiatus since 2008. There were 10 returning Olympians uh, in the softball program internationally. Canada with the most, yourself, you already mentioned Lauren was in the Gen Sailing, who had a phenomenal tournament, and, uh, and as well, Daniel Laurie. What was it like having your experience within the team and what did you you four pass on to the rest of the roster yeah i think it's just um i think knowing what you're going to kind of expect and and knowing what those games are going to how intense those games are and i think we talked about it a lot and we tried to create as many training environments as we could where it might have been an exhibition game but we were talking about hey this is going to happen like Crap's going to hit the fan. We're going to have to look each other in the eye. Like we had a lot of those moments in our exhibition lead up where we were able to talk through those things because we were speaking from experience. And I think a lot of the girls on our team were were soaking that up and able to understand or at least put themselves in that situation. Okay. What am I going to do if I just make an error and it's the winning run on third base? And the reason we're still in this inning is because of me. Like, who am I going to connect with? How am I going to get over that so I can be the best for the team on the next pitch? And we talked a lot about it, a lot about that in our lead up. And I think that really helped us from an experience standpoint and, and bringing the younger ones along. I look at Emma Ensminger on the left side at, at short or at third base, just lockdown defense, Janet Leung at shortstop, Kelsey Jenkins as a first timer at second base, like what they were able to do in the infield and defensively for, for our pitchers. And then obviously on the offensive side of the ball contributing as well. 
um, just really propelled our team and allowed our team to kind of thrive in some of those moments. And I think that's a testament to the experience we did have and, and how we try to apply that experience in the lead up to the games. Uh, fantastic warm-up, of course, but it's nothing like this show. Uh, you get to the Olympics. Day one for you is Mexico. I know you played a couple of warm-up matches uh, in preparation, but the last real match you played was a qualifier in 19. They beat you in that, but you turned around the dial on day one. How important was that victory on day one against Mexico? So I think for sure with we knew what we were going to face. We, we, we had a feeling we were probably going to face Dallas in that game. And we had a really good plan. I thought to execute against her. And I think the message from our team was we weren't going to win the gold or have a chance to win the gold on day one, but we could probably lose it. And I think we were completely bought into what we were trying to do to execute in that game and, and put ourselves in a great position to still have a chance to, to play for the gold medal as the tournament progressed. And, Testament to our team, we went in, and I think from the first inning, we were executing against her, and that pitchers did an amazing job. I think Sarah G held them to no hits through four. We knew we were going to split the games and try to ride our pitching staff, and they were able to come up and have a good um, good, good showing. Ah, and look, I got a little friend over here just came in. Yeah, you want to say hi, Bunny? Hey. hey. This, is my, this is my little nephew, Jameson. He's the one that's going to carry on. The yeah. tradition after you say hi to them. Good night. Hey, hey James. This dude, he had a eagle the par four yesterday, didn't we, in golf? Yeah. What? Yeah, no big day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's eagle on a birdie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool, dude. Very right. cool. Go back to, I'll be down in a second, okay? I'm master of the bogeys. <laughs> Sometimes double bogeys. I did. Was that the number one fan? Borderline. That was the number one fan nice. in the flesh. In the flesh. Awesome. That's that is very cool, very cool. Um, uh, we talked touched a little bit at the early part of this podcast about uh, the, your matches against USA and Japan, and I don't mean this disrespectfully about the other teams because the other teams that were there, all six teams are very very competitive amongst each other. But it did feel like to me if there was going to be one nation that could topple the powerhouses of um, Japan and USA, it was it was Canada that had the consistent and level of performance to do that. Yeah, and I think we had the pitching. and We knew pitching was going to be a strength of ours coming in, and I think we were one of the only teams that were were rolling three, four pitchers deep in those games, and we thought if we could – no other team, I think, had the trust to send out four different pitchers in those games and know they were going to be able to throw up some goose eggs on the board – um, so we thought depth of the tournament, the longer the tournament went on, the better position we were going to be in. Um, obviously I think both of those games were one, nothing Japan scored a run in the eighth inning, yeah. and the ITB, um, USA ended up scoring a run in the fifth on a single, a two out single. So, uh, that both of those are, there's so many moments in those games or, or if we had a, a few breaks here or there, it could have been a different result, but I think that's a credit to kind of our pitching and our defense and, and their ability to to give us innings and their buy-in as a staff to be okay with going two innings in a game and just get me six outs, just get me nine outs, get me three outs, come in and get a big swing. Lauren came in in that game against USA and got us three lefties in a row to get to Danielle in in the seventh and and give us a chance. So there's so many times where I think the ego can take over there and they were bought into doing that from the beginning and and riding them as, as a complete staff. I got two qu- questions on that. You, you as a starting catcher, having to handle 
all those different pitching styles and abilities and against different hitters. I mean, you'll have a strategy against each hitter, but, but with a different pitcher, maybe the strategy changes as well. How do you keep all that information? Um, it's all up here for now. Uh, we had a really good, thankfully our video person, uh, I watched a lot of film. Like yeah. I, I think I probably put in and tagged, I, I would go through and tag the games for her in terms of what pitches were thrown. And, um, I mean, we were probably, we probably did 150 games between the two of us and, and just wow. preparation and watching all the teams and getting better. So a lot of that is just watching Haley McClenney bat. Yeah. 40, 50 times beforehand and, and knowing how we want to approach them and then mirroring that with our pitcher's strengths. Um, the good thing about having a staff is as a catcher, you don't have to hide anything. If I knew Sarah G was only going to go for, for nine outs, I don't have to, I don't have to hide Sarah G's change up for the second time, the third time through, I can just go in and throw the kitchen sink and not be worried. Cause I know when Jenna comes up, it's a completely different change up and she's going to attack them differently. Yeah. So it's in game. I find it's actually a little bit easier knowing you're just managing outs at that point and yeah. you're not having to manage a pitcher the third time through. Cause that's when it's the toughest part for as a catcher and a pitcher is to get a good hitter out three times. is really, really difficult, but you're never really asked to do that. And in, in the way we approached our pitching staff, which was, which was really nice. Felt like to me, you know, everyone has a signature uh, uh, pitch, um, or yeah, or move um, from the mound. It, it felt like Canada had decided that the changeup was your signature pitch across all of your. Know, we know Jenna is is predominantly that, but across all of your stuff, your change of pace changed the face of your pitching stuff. Yeah, and I think we had we had three of the best changeups in the world, and and not many pitchers at the Olympics were throwing changeups and. and it's such a devastating pitch. So for sure, that was our, our plan. When you know you have power hitters that can swing it, like the changeups, the equalizer to everything. And we may not have pitchers who are, are throwing 70, but the way you make 65 and 66 feel like 70 is you throw it after a few changeups. And that was the equalizer for sure with our team. And, and we went in there knowing we were going to throw it a lot and throw it early and make hitters prove that they can hit that. And, a lot of times, too, with the changeup, worst-case scenario, it's hit for a single. Make them hit that four times yeah. for a run as opposed to trying to live with velocity. If someone catches up to velocity, it's not staying in the park at this level. So that was kind of our mentality going in with, with our pitching coach and how we were going to plan it. And we kind of just went all out to it and, and sold out to it and were able to put up a lot of, lot of zero innings on the board with them. How happy were you for Jen uh, with her hitting? She, uh, she finished top hitter of the tournament in the end, I think 571. Mm -hmm. How happy were you for her? Yeah, just having the opportunity to, to train around Jen and be in the same kind of circle of training down. She trains down in Florida and just see how much she, she bought into making herself an elite hitter and making herself a great hitter. And then to be able to do that on the biggest stage, like so happy for her and her process and, and what that meant to her. And I know everyone that's been supporting her and just being able to to do what she did from the offensive standpoint and really be our person in the middle of the lineup that was causing damage. Like just so much respect for the way she went about her business and just happy that she she was able to have that and knowing that that was going to be her last Olympics. And that was her memory as opposed to 2008 when we weren't able to medal. Fantastic. Pretty impressive. All right. Well, you wake up on the morning of the bronze medal match. Uh, you know you're going to take on Mexico again. 
Um, you might have got the wood on them on day one, but this is a different kettle of fish. You're playing for podium. You lose, you go home with nothing. What's what's the mm-hmm. morning wake up call like for uh, Kaylee Rafter that day? I mean, definitely a lot of nerves. I think if we there's a lot riding on that game and a lot of work that you you can't help but your mind to think about like, is this all going to be for nothing? And that's one of the hardest things to do as an athlete is that manage that first the six hours from when you're awake to when we start playing that game, because that's all you're thinking about is like, this can't be like, we got to win this game. we got to win this game. Like I'm not leaving here without a medal. Um, but I think once the game starts and once you get into it, you're not really thinking about those things and you're, you're bought into what we're trying to do. I thought we had a really good game plan. We had a, a few really big swings for some players that um, had struggled in, in those situations up in, in the tournament, but just complete team effort from the pitching staff to Emma getting the hit, KJ driving in the RBI, defensive plays we were able to make in those later innings and, and keep balls on the infield and and just really buy into what our what our pitching staff was doing. And Mexico fought like they were a great team, but I think we just had a little bit more in the tank and a little bit more buy-in with our team that day and, and able to win the match. So um, lots of emotions beforehand, but a lot more after when we are putting the medals around our neck for sure. Ah, fantastic. Talking about that, we we have that special moment. Let's have a look at that now. Kaylee, smile again. Look at that smile again. <laughs> the, the match is the match, but uh, having uh, that medal ceremony and uh, receiving it from your teammate uh, around your neck, how were the eyes? Um, little glistening. It's still <laughs> funny story. My biggest fan drew me a photo. So Jameson drew me a photo after of me getting my medal. And on the photo, there was big eyes. He was, they were just happy tears. They were happy tears I saw. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously with, without all the things that Laura and I had been through, it was number order. So it was completely random that a little bit random that we were beside each other, but Mm. to be able to kind of share that moment with her and, and just put the medals around each other's necks, it it was just what a, what a compilation and what a finish to, to the year. So, um, couldn't have asked for a better way to write the ending, um, maybe a different color, but I thought we played our best softball and, we gave it everything we had and, and Japan and USA were able to beat us in two games. And I think Japan is, they played best that they played some great softball the whole week and they were able to take home the gold. So all power to them. And, and we had our moment and what a way to end it. Very, very cool. Uh, uh, Kaylee and, and uh, you can see the emotion uh, on your face here as you talk about that, uh, that moment in time. And of course, um, you know, the home run in 19, but representing your country and getting to the podium, an Olympic bronze medalist what? forever. 
Yep, you can keep saying it. It'll never get old, I don't think. Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. Fantastic. Well, congratulations, Kaylee. And congratulations not just to you, but to the rest of your teammates. You were one of the stars of the tournament for sure. And uh, um, I'd love to say the crowd favourite if there was a crowd there, but we all know there was a massive crowd watching internationally. Uh, uh, including us here in New Zealand, but uh, including but, my lounge, yeah, all around the world who tuned in uh, uh, for every pitch and every moment, and especially um, those big ones at the end. Yeah, and, and it, I mean, obviously, the support system we can't do with this without it, and just to everyone who kind of supported softball on this journey, it's this. This is all because of you guys, and all because of all the people that that kept softball going. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, baby! Flex that bronze, flex yeah. it. Oh, Apparent, there you go. <laughs> apparently, they tell me the surf in California in the summer of 2028 is outstanding. So, if you feel like playing softball, <laughs> this little event there—I'm not going to say how old you are when you get there—but all I'm going to say is, if you do play, you're going to be the best. All right. All right. We'll, we'll leave the door open. All the right. door will not close. I like that. I like that indeed. Well, I, uh, definitely best of luck anyway with uh, with Florida State. Um, Kelly, thank you for your time today. But before we let you go, we've got a last little segment here. Damon's about to explain it. Right, Kelly. Over this journey, we have been uh, basically putting people on the spot, no pressure, but um, we've been selecting all world teams. So our men's have pretty much filled up i think we've got one or two spaces but yours is selecting from the woman so as you see on the screen we've got some who's who of the woman's game and we've got some more positions to fill so we've got still got first base second base shortstop left field and right field is that us up today yeah that's perfect fully fully up to date so you can see uh laura berg's at center field monica abbott on the hill uh um, pianca stelli behind the dish stacy porter like yourself, uh, double Olympian, uh, in the DP role, Ueno, double Olympian, over as the relief pitcher, if you would call her a relief pitcher, yeah. uh, and of course, uh, Fernandez in the hot corner. So yeah, left field, right field, shortstop, second base, first base. You're the coach. Any country, any era, <laughs> select the way. What a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, trying to th- I'm just going to think real quick here. Um, I'm gonna have to go left. I'm gonna Canadian here. Yeah, and probably one of the truest haters that I've ever seen. I'm gonna go left field. Mel Matthews from Canada played with us in 2008. One of the best and the best truest hitters I've ever seen in my entire life. She just let us off for however many years. She's in the Canadian Hall of Fame, but she did not miss many pitches, and she was pretty good at what she did. Mel, is, is it short for Melanie Mel? Matthews? Mel, Melanie Matthews, yeah. yep. Yeah, gotcha. Oh, fantastic. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it here. The all-world women's team selection on uh, Beyond the Day, starting left foot all the way from Canada, is Mel or Melanie Matthews from Canada, uh, picked here by Olympic bronze medalist, just saying, Kelly Rafter. Congratulations. So there you are, Damon. The all-world's uh, selection team is coming together nicely. Yeah, we've got some. Oh, we're gonna have to sort something out next, mate, because the, the, we've we've started too high. We're gonna have to go higher. <laughs> uh, indeed. Um, again, a Kaylee or K Raf or uh, you know what? G Raf. 
Yeah, the one that I liked the most was the yeah, it was exactly that. G Ref. <laughs> I do because I've met, yeah, I've met you and I look up to you too. She's tall, Damien. I'm telling you, she's tall. You look up to a lot of people, mate. Okay, funny guy. <laughs> Thank I'm you. six four, Kaylee. Yeah, congratulations <laughs> nice. once, once again uh, on a stellar career. I'm not saying it's done, but just to pick up that bronze medal. History making. You started your Olympic career with history, youngest home run uh, hitter in the game, and uh, then you cap it off. Uh, well, sure, earmark a, a moment in time with the bronze medal. First time Canada has ever got to the podium uh, in the Olympics. Boy, oh boy, what a ride! Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate you having me. I love anytime talking the game. So appreciate it, and, and hope everyone enjoyed it. Uh, we, we sure did indeed. Hey, be sure to say kia ora to Trav when you see him in the software kia office. Ora. Uh, kia ora. Kia ora. Yeah, you're on it, all right. Well, again, there you go. Seven World Cups. Uh, and, of course, a uh, few Pan Americans. The gold back in 11. Uh, the big year was 2015, so Pan American gold. Uh, and, of course, the home run in 2019 to send them to Tokyo. As you see the pictures on the bottom of the screen there, that's where she gave them the opportunity. And the, together with her sisters, they won bronze. And she will be an Olympic bronze medalist forever in a day. And there's Kelly Raptor. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Olympic bronze medalist forever. Forever. And now we've had an Olympic medalist on the show. Wait, I'm trying to think who else was an Olympic medalist. But hey, we've just had a, a Tokyo Olympian medalist on the show. So very cool. She was cool. Very, very cool, man. You can see the passion in her eyes when you talk to her uh, about the game. And uh, I mean, I already know the character of her. I didn't get to um, have a few drinks with her in, in Shanghai, unfortunately. Um, just were too busy. But... But I understand uh, just getting to shoot the breeze and talk. I think we chatted over breakfast one time. Um, you know, she's just a delight to talk to. Yeah, she talk, She talks with all emotion, eh? You yeah. can see it. And I know I know we've got a podcast and I and I know we've got three cameras set up and a, and a massive board and soundboard we like. We, one day we'll, get, we'll, we'll figure out how we can use this. But it's very cool to see these people talk about, um, you, talk, you talk about passion, but that twinkle in their eye, the big smile when they, and I hope it comes across in the podcast because we see it and it's very cool to see. It is indeed. 14 years in the national, no break. Seven World Cups, five or six Pan Ams, two Olympics. I mean, there's, there's just, there's nothing she has not done. But surely a couple more left in it. Maybe. Surely. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but she's obviously going to be a part of the game anyway. We know yes. she's going to coach down at Florida State. So um, some cool things. And um, an interesting question for me was asking her about handling the pitching staff at these Olympics. They, were, they used all four weren't afraid to they were all different um you know how did you cope with the retention of information to know what to to, to signal the pitch um so, you know she's kind of pointed i've got it all up here and i put it to her head type thing so she must have just studied the house that prepped so much oh yeah absolutely um behind the dish you know you've got to 
hell of a responsibility like you'd know um, for for so many years but um at that level you can't you can't make any mistakes hey eh? you've got to put know the playbook inside and out every batter that's coming to play and yeah she definitely seems like that one of that person but one thing that really resonated with me was um how it was it wasn't just a pitcher and catcher out there trying to beat the batter it was nine against one every yeah. time someone stepped up to bat it was nine against one and and um, yeah, that's that's how you got to look at it. Absolutely, you can't just rely on that one person chucking, chucking the balls and strikes down. Yeah. No, and she mentioned that, didn't she? You, you did right in there. Uh, bronze medal game against Mexico. It was a couple of the ladies that hadn't had the big hits during the week that came up trumps, yeah. and that that just shows the strength of their team as a team. Yeah, and as she said about the four coming back, you know, they had to they had a job to do to pass on that knowledge and make sure that every every one of them were relaxed and, and, and in the moment. And um, yeah, you, you got to have those, I'm not going to say old heads, but your wiser heads uh, to prevail in, in those moments and obviously paid off for the team. Yeah, sure did indeed. Well, there you go. Carly Rafter will forever be a bronze Olympic medalist at yeah, GREF at uh, Tokyo 2020. Congratulations to her. And, of course, uh, Softball Canada, you've got to mention what they put pump into their program. She's talking about them being able to give up their jobs, do this full time. Yeah. Then you can see it's worth the results. So any uh, international bodies that are listening into this, maybe not the sport because the sport knows that already. Mm. It's the governmental bodies that have to back it. Um, Sport New Zealand, uh, just saying. Uh, um, Yeah, if you back them, it'll come. And Canada just showed it right there, uh, a bronze medal. And uh, and that's the possibility. We talk about our own country, New Zealand now. Roman Gabriel at the helm with him. We've got them, him coming up in a few weeks' time and get to talk to him about that. They get behind Roman, softball New Zealand. They too could see the results of what Canada did here in 2020. Well, Roman said day one that the goal was 2028. You know, we're, we're, we're all aware of it now. So let's help our elite athletes get more elite. Yeah. Yep. Um, I want my taxes to go to that instead of your bloody Harbour Bridge bikeway. No <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just not going to say anything about that. <laughs> to be fair. Uh, it's not as if you ever use it, eh, mate? Well, one... <laughs> I don't know if these are biked this strong enough. And two, you're never, ever, ever, ever going to see Chopper and Lycra. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. Um, took about going from great catchers to great pitchers. Coming up next week, we have got arguably one of the best pitchers New Zealand's ever produced. We've produced some gems. Hurley, Grant, White, Meredith, you name it. There is just a production line of them. But we've got a real special one coming in uh, uh, next week, and he has done it all. Sometimes a little bit under the radar. People don't know much about him, but what they do will we'll remember. In 2004, he pitched the gold medal winning game for New Zealand's Jimmy Wano next week. Yeah, sure did. Uh, yeah, the the mountain of a man. Um, he, he's a specimen, isn't he? Um, yeah, such a career. You know, he thrust it upon on on it um, at a young age. Won every everything going through the age groups with uh, provincials, um, and yeah, he's got a got a gold medal or two um, around um, sitting at home as well. So, no, nah, a lengthy career, um, storied overseas. Um, awesome to get a couple stories uh, out of him uh, in regards to people I know, and um, yeah, no, nah, a special one.
Very yeah, cool. yeah, indeed. For those young young people that are listening to this, you may know the name Jimmy Wanner because he was the uh, pitching coach yeah. for the Golden Home Black Sox for a number of years, uh, winning gold medal in 2017 on that coaching staff. Um, but listen to this, young people. As a player, won seven national cha- club national championships with Ponikek Albuni. Seven. Just, just, just one, but yeah. seven of them. Uh, he won four ISCs in uh, professional ball in the States, three American ASAs. Uh, he won, obviously, two World Cups. The one in 2004 when he was on the hill for New Zealand, but also the Junior World Cup, I think it was back in 85 or something like that, um, and has now been coaching for three. So when I say he's done it all, mm. he's done it all, and also inducted into the Hall of Fame, the ISCs already as Jimmy Wanner. I'm sure the rest of the halls is just a matter of time. Yeah, I think he got commercial realtor of the year 2014 or something as well. But um, yeah, mate, high achiever. Yeah, definitely sets his mind to something and smashes it. So good to get insight to to another another elite person that's gone through it. different eras as well. Um, you know, he's seen the new generation and and Heller definitely saw the old generation. You know, you you mentioned some of those names that he came up with um, to stand out at the age that he did around those names back in the day uh, shows a bit of grit. And um, yeah, he'll explain all that. Uh, for international viewers, his name used to be Jimmy Seaman, now Jimmy Wanner. Um, and so if you want to learn or find out how to be an elite pitcher internationally as well as domestically, what it takes, what the environment's like, how to get across the line, guess you tune into episode 19 of Beyond the Dugger. 19? Damn. Rocking it. <laughs> I know, Rocking right? It. I suppose we've only got one uh, position for him to fill as well on the all-world men's team. It is filling up nice. Damn. Are we going to have a coach? We've got a manager. Do we need a coach? I think... I think Maybe we'll, episode 20. Yeah, well, we'll have oh. to think about that. It's Yo. coming together. It's coming together. Well, sure. there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That'll do episode 18 here. And uh, it's Canada's Kaylee Rafter that uh, blessed you with her presence today and her beautiful bronze medal for the country of Canada. It was great having you along for it wherever you are. Stay well, look after each other, and we'll be back next week. Kakite anō on behalf of Damien Collins, I'm Chopper aka Jason Kirby's. Sometimes. Sometimes. Cheers everyone and happy belated birthday to our Canadian brother Lance Wood. Cheer bro. Cheer. Beyond the dugout, lace them up and we run out. Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out. Put you on the mound like you don't want to face this. Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases. Do it for your teammates, do it for the fam. Do it for your city, true ballers understand. You gotta work together, you gotta find a way. Put your body on the line and make that play. Beyond the dugout, lace them up and we run out. Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out. Put you on the mound like you don't want to face this. Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases. Beyond the dugout. Beyond the dugout. Beyond the dugout. Beyond the dugout.